on behalf of the Creation Care Alliance of Western North Carolina and the community of, of Western North Carolina, I'm grateful um, to you all for having me this morning on this uh, Feast of St. Francis Day. And a little bit earlier, got to witness and participate as the uh, the puppies and uh, animals. You guys look a little different than the nine o'clock service. <laughs> there are uh, tails involved and paws, uh, but I'm really grateful to be here. Uh, not only for this, the hospitality that you've shown to me and to many others, uh, but for the ways that you um, seek justice and equity and, and love for this community. I'm grateful for Millie Morrow and for uh, another colleague, uh, Thomas Murphy, who helped to plant the seeds of Creation Care Alliance and has helped to grow our ministry. And um, uh, we know that you all are doing good things. The Creation Care Alliance is a uh, ministry within about 70 different congregations across the western part of our state. And uh, we encourage and accompany congregations as they seek to love their neighbor by loving uh, the nature around them and by uh, living into sustainability. I'm grateful for you all uh, as the cathedral are seeking racial wholeness, equity, justice, and creation care as you continue to share the good news of God's love in the world. Particularly, I'm grateful for the Koinonia racial equity ministries, the variety of ways that you're engaged in that, and for the ways that you draw on a rich history, uh, starting with Christ and moving through your Episcopal tradition of seeking truth, compassion, and justice in order to be in right relationship with the earth, with God, with ourselves, and with neighbor. Thank you. Uh, we've got two more uh, sacred readings this morning. The first uh, extra one is from Job 12, 7 through 10. And I invite you to check that out later on, or you can um, just absorb it here as I, as I read it to you. But ask the animals, and they will teach you. The birds of the air, and they will tell you. Ask the plants of the earth, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In God's hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of every human being. Would you pray with me? Incredible God, we are grateful for a moment to step out, to step in. We ask that you will continue to invite us to live more rightly with you. And I ask that my words would not get in your way this morning as you invite transformation of heart and of community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I grew up in Texas, and in Texas in the summertime, uh, we were encouraged uh, by my family to leave Texas because it's really, really hot in the summer in Texas. And so somehow, through a friend of a friend, we had a key to a cabin that was in Colorado. And so our family uh, drove our green van up to uh, this mountain range in Colorado. And we were with another family set of friends. I was the oldest, like in seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade. And there were four other children in the group. And uh, once we arrived there um, in this mountainous area, uh, we began to explore not only the forest around us, but also the house and the basement and all the different uh, ways that we could explore. Uh, the, the parents just said, get out, uh, you know, <laughs> that's 
sometimes happens. Um, and so we discovered a few things. One uh, were this little group of chipmunks, uh, and many of you know of a chipmunk, a little stripes, cute little creatures running around the logs. And the other was this cage that was underneath the basement that was all dusty that um, was a trap for small critters uh, that was a live trap. And so we decided to put those two things together and see what would happen. And so uh, my, uh, my little tribe of people uh, we, we put some peanut butter crackers in the cage and set it up on a log that had fallen down and we waited and we waited and eventually a chipmunk uh, made his or her way into the cage and uh, snapped it shut and all of a sudden we had this uh, little creature in a suitcase because it had a handle. So we were walking it around, we had this chipmunk in a suitcase showing my parents, uh, going from uh, different place to place and really excited about it and eventually I realized we weren't gonna be able to keep this chipmunk, it was not good for anybody uh, and we began to think about how we might release the chipmunk back into the wild. Now, some of you maybe remember this TV show a long time ago called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Anyone remember that show? Yep, yep, not very many people do. And uh, at the end of that show, the way I remember it, is there was always a slow motion scene of some incredible creation, uh, this creature leaping out of a cage or the back of somebody's truck and, uh, and with this beautiful music happening, um, muscles rippling on their line as it was re-entering into the nature. And I was thinking that would, would happen uh, with this chipmunk. <laughs> so I had these, uh, these smaller kids with me, and uh, I was like, get ready, kids. We're going to release it back into the wild. And I opened up the cage and set it on the log, and we stepped back behind a tree, and nothing happened. <laughs> we waited, and we waited. The kids were starting to get antsy. I was losing their attention, kind of like what happens when I preach. <laughs> And eventually, we, I knew it wasn't going to come out. So I, I went over to the cage, and the kids started getting closer. I turned it 45 degrees, and I, and I kind of gave it a little nudge. Nothing happened. I, I did like kind of a little bit more, uh, gave it a little gentle shake to not hurt it, but just get it out of there. Nothing happened. Uh, the kids gathered around. I was like, all right, we're going to help him, you know. And uh, they, they gathered around, and I... Um, flipped it back over, reached my hand down into the cage, and gently uh, pried his fingers off where he was gripping and, uh, and set the cage down. And the kids were gathered around um, as we were looking at this amazing gift from God, this little beautiful chipmunk. And it was like uh, some like horror movies or something when the animal um, did a 360-degree turn with his head and crunched down into my finger and I could hear it before I could feel it. It's amazing science that way. And uh, I started screaming. The kids started screaming. They were running around. My parents came out of the house. What's going on out there? And I said, there's a chipmunk. And I let go of the chipmunk. The chipmunk did not let go of me. And so it was flapping around as I'm running. Ah, the kids are screaming. It was chaotic. Eventually it did let go of my finger and ran off to high-fiving his friends, the other chipmunks. Like, yeah. And I imagine him like preaching at Little Chipmunk Church, telling the same story before, here's how to get rid of humans from your forest. But I was uh, breathless in creation. Uh, it was due to terror and, and, and pain. Uh, but uh, maybe you have had an experience where you have been breathless in creation.
where you've recognized there's something sacred in this moment being outside. For some of you, maybe it happened this morning. For others, it was under a night sky or standing by an ocean or near a river. Some, it's while you're by yourself or with a group of people. If you can recall a time when you had a moment of awe or some would say a God moment or a thin place in nature, uh, try, to, try to recall it just silently in your mind and in your body now. If you're able to think of one or recall one, would you just give like a thumbs up or just nod your head so we can kind of get a sense if people have had, this is a common experience. If you could remember a time of awe or a God moment, just nod your head or give a thumbs up so I can see. I have the opportunity to, to listen with congregations from across the state and really with my denomination across the country. And uh, this reaction is, uh, is very common. Uh, people are encountering God, encountering the sacred in nature all over the place. You are not alone in that. Some would say that that would be our then fourth sacred reading. As your memory of your encounter with the sacred in nature is the Bible written before the Bible was written. Theologian Sally McFaig says, we meet God in and through the world if we're ever to meet God. God is not out there or back there or yet to be, but is hidden in the most ordinary things of our ordinary lives. If we cannot find the transcendent in the world in its beauty and its suffering, then she says, for us bodily earthly creatures, it is probably not to be found at all. Sally McFay suggests a powerful metaphor for creation as part of God's body. This kind of thinking points towards the interconnectedness and sacredness of earth, not just as a revelation of God, but as an expression of God embodied. To McFay, God is not a distant king or a particular race or gender or an individual, but is deeply personal, interwoven with all of life on earth. This view integrates the material and spiritual worlds. It's informed and strengthened by science, not threatened by it. It is rooted in the interconnected relationships among people, ecosystems, plants, and animals. It values the here and now rooted in sacred experiences, like you just recalled, of God's creation over and above the ticket to heaven kind of religion where the sacred is coming almost always later and almost always somewhere else. Dr. McFaig recognizes the interwoven nature of ecology, peace, and justice and invites us to listen to God as revealed in God's creation and our neighbor in this very moment. She says the world is our meeting place with God. So what if... Uh, we listened to the animals, like Job invites. 
Well, at nine o'clock, you would have heard barking and maybe a little purring and um, some of the birds that were singing. Uh, but what if we listen to other creatures? I had the opportunity to live in Monteverde, Costa Rica, which is on the uh, continental divide of Central America uh, in this cloud forest with my family. Uh, while I was there, I met lots of new neighbors and I imagine asking them and listening to them about what's happening in the world. One of them was a three-waddled bellbird, this uh, majestic bird that had two mustaches on one side and one on the other, three waddles. And the uh, three-waddled bellbird uh, lived moving up and down the, the mountain range in Costa Rica. It's only endemic in Costa Rica and Panama. If we asked the three-waddled bellbird, what's happening? He might describe something about unbridled development. He might describe the sickness that he sees in the banana plantation workers that are pesticides soaked in that area. He might talk about how sometimes these days when he arrives at trees that normally have fruit on them, um, he's missed the fruit because the timing is a little bit different. It's either fruited earlier or it's fruiting later. He might talk about how the rains are shifting in Monteverde, where the clouds normally nourish the forest there, just um, putting out mist where hundreds of species of orchid can absorb the nutrients, that the rains now are coming harder and uh, more frequently in, in a pounding rain instead of a soft cloud. He might describe what many of the taxi drivers and hotel owners, what the Quakers and the scientists might say, uh, this idea of climate change. And for the bellbird, it wouldn't be a political issue. It would be a life or death issue. What if we imagine talking with a green sea turtle, like the one I met in Nicaragua? What would she tell us about the oceans, the Pacific, where she swims? She might tell us what you probably already know, that the oceans are heating up. She might describe the Pacific Ocean uh, trash patch, or the straws or the different kinds of plastics that are floating around as she swims. She might describe how coral reefs look less and less like coral reefs and more and more like chalk. What if we asked a creature that is closer to home for us, the wood thrush, that lives both in Central America and here in Western North Carolina? The wood thrush might tell us a thing or two. We might imagine that he would echo what the Audubon Society, you know, the bird people, they might echo what they have known for several decades, that 318 North American bird species are liable to lose their habitat by 2080. That's half of all North American bird species. The wood thrush might tell us about the poison leaching from coal pits into water wells and rivers, creating an inhospitable landscape for birds and for people. As they fly over coal ash ponds or hog farms or trash incinerators or toxic dumps, they might tell us that the most vulnerable communities, particularly communities of color, are feeling the worst and first impacts of environmental degradation. The water often rises faster and is more laden with lead in communities of color and in poorer neighborhoods. Our imagined conversations with these creatures might reveal the suffering of the world is not just for these animals and for these plants, but is for humans as well. 
that ecological suffering is connected to social suffering, like violence, addiction, income inequality, lack of fair housing, lack of clean water, racism, exploitation of women and children. These wounds in the body of humanity are connected to the wounds in the body of creation. The wounds on the bodies where we find God. While the mechanisms of our social current ills differ, the roots of our challenges are similar to what Jesus must have seen and experienced in his day. Now you remember that Jesus saw <clears throat> similar injustice in his world. Few people had a control over most of the resources. People were cast out of community for all sorts of reasons. Eventually, Jesus was falsely accused, arrested, and killed by a collaboration among the political and religious elite. And after all of this death and violence, you might remember in John 20, where it is reported that the disciples were locked in a room. It says they were terrified. They were locked up in fear. Now, this is a common experience for me. As I think about ecological and social challenges, it doesn't take but a couple of swipes, a couple of clicks, even a conversation with a real person before we have reason to be afraid. We are living in a fear-drenched society. The disciples were in a similar conundrum. We don't know how Jesus got into the room, but the gospel says that he did. He came in, and we are told that Jesus spoke to the disciples, saying, Peace be with you. And then he showed the disciples the wounds on his body. And then he spoke again, peace be with you. And then the gospel says that he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit of God. The wounded Jesus breathed the living breath of God into that room. This anti-terror plan from Jesus is breathing love and the Spirit of God into the terrified places. That's God's love story for creation, for humanity, for you, and for us. This gift was echoed in the, the uh, Timothy reading this morning, in verse 7, where it says, For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit or a pneuma or breath of power and love of self-discipline. Now, my imagined conversations with these animals, it was different than what I actually heard. What I actually heard from the animals that I described was their breath. So from the three-waddled bellbird, it's one of the loudest creatures in nature. It can call up to two kilometers away. He both uses it for an attraction of mates and also to repel other suitors from his tree area. But when he makes the sound, uh, it, it sounds like this. And I'll try not to scream too loud. I could do it really loudly outside this morning, but it sounds like a squeaky gig and a bonk. So it's like, ah. 
really loudly. And then the bellboy would actually use that bonk uh, to scream in the ears of, of adolescent uh, males that are trying to steal their zone. So they like actually bonk right in their ear and try to repel them off. Um, but this breath of the bellbird, the wood thrush, if I, uh, maybe many of you heard the breath of a wood thrush before. Uh, this bird that, that flies across the Gulf of Mexico, Mexico in one night uh, has two voice boxes. The wood thrush can harmonize with itself, uh, beautiful singing like you all do. And it has 50 distinct songs the wood thrush does. Uh, and so I have heard his breath. So let me sing a quick wood thrush song for you. I'm oh, just kidding. I can't do a wood thrush. That's really, really hard. Can't do a wood thrush. We have the imagined voices of these creatures, uh, but I heard the wood thrush's breath. Just like I heard the breath of a green sea turtle in Nicaragua. My family and I were there on the beach. It was our last night um, there. At 1 a.m., we heard a whistle from the, the sand down below. Um, we were called down by a guard who was called to protect the, 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 um, these creatures. Um, we ran down, my two children and, and wife and I, um, and we followed the bobbing flashlight uh, gleam along the ocean uh, waves. Uh, we could see at one point where it looked like somebody had taken a yoga ball and pulled it across the sand up into the dunes. And we followed that path up into the dunes, and we could see two men standing near about a 70-pound turtle who was uh, moving her flippers to cover 85 ping-pong-shaped eggs that she had just deposited into a, um, into a hole there. As she moved her flippers, burying this life, it wasn't the image that was so uh, powerful for me. It was her breath. <sighs> Breathing life on that beach. If we ask the animals, as Job suggested, they might teach us a thing or two about adjusting our behaviors to thrive in times of great change. They might talk to us about mitigation or trying to stop ecological and social damage. They might talk to us about adaptation, about how to adapt in the world as it's changing. We know uh, that there are many organizations, uh, governments and the military and businesses and nonprofits that are doing this mitigation and adaptation. We know that the city of Asheville and Buncombe County are moving towards sustainability, and at their best, they will move more closely and more quickly. But these ways of moving have not healed the body of creation. Uh, scientist Gus Speth said, I used to think that the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that 30 years of good science could address these problems, but I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a cultural and spiritual transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. Who knows how to do that? You all do. The church 
That's our job, to engage in transformation using the gospel love and compassion. Yes, mitigation. Yes, adaptation. Yes, addressing all these things. But compassion is our bread and butter as a church. At our best, spiritual people and faith communities can address both social and ecological symptoms. We're followers of a loving God addressing the root causes of these wounds. The Cathedral of All Souls continues to breathe love into the world. You all know how to do right relationships. We've heard about it already today. Some of the first words in this sanctuary this morning were spoken about the way that you breathe life into one another and into this community. You can see the interconnections that are as close as your and my breath, that racism and poverty are connected to clean air and climate change and food deserts. You can see that diversity and education and economy are, collect, are connected to pollinators, polluters, and ecology. What is your next breath of love in the world? In the midst of these discernment questions, it may be important for you to know you're not alone. The holy breath of God's love is at work. It's in, in, at work in your denomination. Your, the Episcopal Church has a robust creation care vision that is loving and liberating and life-giving. In 2018, you all passed 18 resolutions about creation care, climate change, and environmental racism. That is to be applauded. It's a powerful statement, not only for your own body, but for the world. Through the Creation Care Alliance, I've had the opportunity to see uh, congregations that are working outside of the Episcopal denomination, like the, uh, the, the six congregations in Western North Carolina who have changed out their LED lights. Uh, they have uh, engaged in this energy efficiency, which isn't cool or sexy, but it is uh, saving them $14,000 a year to do other kinds of ministry than turning on the lights. It is uh, helping them avoid 160,000 pounds of coal over this next year. You might know St. Eugene is just up the street, Catholic Church. They have 147 solar panels. Um, they're doing amazing things by the savings that they have moving towards a clean energy future. And they are the first Catholic church in North Carolina to have solar panels on their roof. And they are combining, uh, they have a Spanish-speaking worship service and an English-speaking worship service. And the two of them got together to create a pollinator garden that is designed to attract uh, pollinators that are migrating from Central America up into the U.S. Um, to where we can connect these two congregations more deeply in the way that they worship and work together. You know, uh, Piney Mountain United Methodist Church has about 15 to 30 people in worship on Sunday mornings. Uh, they're not interested in their rural uh, community to talk a lot about climate change. That's not what their main priority is, but they do love visiting with people. They love sharing food with people. They love sharing, uh, saving money. So they went door to door with the produce that they created in their backyards and on their farmlands with wheelbarrows. And they also got a grant for LED lights. And between those two things, they went door to door to between 50 and 70 homes and they handed out LED light bulbs and free food. They just wanted to love their neighbor. And it's estimating that, that they've saved their neighborhood $70,000 in the next uh, 10 years, and the equivalent of about 1,500 trees planted in the way that they are engaging in this breath of love. You're not alone in the work that you're doing, in the breath that you're breathing. 
It's like the air pouring out from the barks that we heard this morning from the, the, the curdle of the, the purring from kittens on this uh, animal blessing Sunday. It's like the uncontainable and wild air pouring from beaks in Costa Rica and the Carolina mountains. It's as powerful as a mother's groan giving birth on the sand in Nicaragua or the subtle breath whispering from each oak leaf or blade of grass. Like the very breath of Jesus breathing the Spirit of God into the locked rooms of our own hearts and our communities, may we choose to breathe peace and love into the terrified places of our world, that our hearts might amplify this breath. Amen.